0: Previously, on the Tony Kornheiser Show. By the way, Aiden last night gave up like 10 runs. He's 1-10 yeah. in 10 on the year. It's 1-10. Yeah, did, did they bother to catch the ball in the outfield last night? I, <sighs> I must admit, I was watching the Orioles more closely than
1: them. But it just yeah, stayed. it's fun. Like the three days a week, they just decide that fly balls are optional. I, <laughs> I like that. I, I'm very down with that.
0: The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So let's stay with the baseball theme. Chris Spiro, who's the general manager and the vice president of operations of the D.C. Grays baseball club, sent us a big box of that. He writes, today marks the D.C. Grays' 10th year of tribute to the show, kind of. I sent you a box of gear last year, but it came back as unclaimed. Maybe I screwed up, <clears throat> but I prefer to believe it was a set the board back to zero Nigel situation. If not that, then I blame Saliza. I had the boxes from last year for you, Michael, and Nigel in my garage, and I include them here. I've also included a selection of this season's new merchandise and plenty of foam baseballs for your grandsons to chuck around their home. Michael took them. Michael wanted them. As you've generously shared with your audience in the past, the Grays are a 501c3, not-for-profit organization, and are the only D.C.-based team in the Cal Ripken Collegiate Baseball League, which, like the Cape Cod League and others, is a summer wood bat league for college players. We are one of the few teams in major summer collegiate baseball that recruit extensively from historically black colleges and universities. The Grays <coughs> excuse me, the Grays play their home games at the Washington Nationals Youth Academy at 3675 Eli Place Southeast and the first home game was a couple of nights ago on the 8th. Today's the 10th. Our website with the roster and game schedule is dcgrays.com. Admission to the home games is free. We're proud to be the official sponsor of the Washington DC RBI Reviving Baseball and Inner Cities Program, and to put on other programs to support baseball in underserved communities in the D.C. area. We once again proudly claim our status as the official summer collegiate baseball team of the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's very, very nice, Chris, and we thank you very much. And we always wish the team great luck. Absolutely. Wood bat leagues are what we want. We don't want these aluminum yes. bat leagues. Yes, I got a lovely painting from our friend George Millais. Look at this, Nigel. It's beautiful. Oh, look at that. It's a horse attempting to throw a rider, and it's beautiful. And he writes, Rich Strikes Exercise rider, Gabe Lagunas, earns his paycheck each morning when the strapping chestnut colt tries to dump him before they gallop. <laughs> the horse's last official timed workout last week at Churchill before shipping to Belmont was five furlongs and 59. I watched the video on my video editing software, though, and the time looked like a fraction over 58. That's what we railbirds call a bullet. The horse is ready for Belmont. He'll need some pace ahead of him, but he will close like a freight train. Love this naughty colt. <laughs> We're going to have Andy Byer on later. Andy Byer is great at but he can't paint. George can paint. <laughs> right. Andy Byer can't That really paint. is fantastic. So Look at that. for that. Um I, let me, I don't have much this morning. I was going to read a bunch of emails. Michael is not with us this morning, and so I can't really talk about the golf that we played yesterday or being fitted for a new driver and, and all of that. He you know, did it, call me and said that you were getting yeah, a new driver. Yeah, but- I mean, I, I would, I'll tell the story when Michael's back because he can amplify it and fill in the holes. Won't help you with the sand traps, though, will it? It will not. I can't use a driver out of the sand. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'll get to the one thing. It's Strasbourg. Okay, uh, it's Steven Strasburg. He pitches last night for the first time basically in two years. Yeah, He pitches. Now, I, I don't think it's fair to expect much. He's been pitching a little bit in the minor leagues. I honestly don't think you can say, oh, he should come in and he should, you know, give up two hits and one run in five innings and get out and strike out eight. That, that's not reasonable. It's not by, reasonable by any standards. So I'll tell you what I saw. Um, because I made the decision to watch Strasburg rather than the hearings on the January 6th. Right. I I just wanted to watch Strasburg. And then I watched a little of that, but I watched Strasburg. His line is terrible. It's four and two thirds innings, eight hits, seven earned, but he had five strikeouts. Only 83 pitches in that amount of time, which is a lot less than Aiden, for example, (laughs) or Josiah Gray, for example, or Eric Fetty, for example, who were sometimes by five innings over 100 pitches. Yes. You know, his earned run average now in the majors this year is 13.5. So these are silly numbers. Right. And he gave up at 1.5 hits in a row in the the, uh, fifth inning for the Marlins. Jazz Chisholm Jr. singled, then Garrett Cooper doubled, and scoring Chisholm. Jesus Aguilar singles, scoring Cooper, Avasail Garcia doubles, scoring Aguilar, oh, Aguilar out at home, I'm sorry, and Jesus Sanchez homers, okay? And that brings in a couple. So he, a lot of runs. In the first and the fifth, a lot of runs. What I noticed was this, and Strasburg is very optimistic. He said, I, um, said I'm excited to learn from it and get back out there for the next one. I had the great fear that somewhere between the second and third innings, Strasburg would look down at his right elbow <laughs> right. and then look into the, to the dugout, and the trainer would come out, and he'd be on the DL by the morning. Yeah. So cool. I had that fear. But I will say this, and this is not optimistic on my part, but I'll try to explain it. He threw a lot of off-speed stuff, a lot of curves, a lot of change-ups. I thought his fastball, when he threw it, topped out about 90. Yeah. That's not fast enough in the major leagues. No. Now, I'm certainly willing to believe, the story doesn't allude to this today, I'm certainly willing to believe that he didn't try to gas it. No, He's worried about his arm. He wants to make sure he goes incrementally. He wants to make sure that, that he's not throwing himself out. That, that's what I think, because he's a veteran pitcher and he knows what he's doing. But, and there's always a but... But if he doesn't have, as Bruce Springsteen would say, the ability to throw that speed ball by you, <laughs> that make you look like a fool. If he doesn't have that anymore, then he's got to be a different pitcher, utterly. Yeah. We think of Steven Strasburg as a hard thrower. And, uh, you know, routinely, Eric Fetty goes 97. You that- know, Adon goes 99. Yeah. Seems like so everybody
2: throws in the upper 90s. You
0: 90 know. would be a problem. Yeah, But but I'm willing to believe that he just didn't try to throw hard, that this is conditioning, that this is let me get back on the mound, let me see what I can do. This is a process, and it's going to take four or five starts, and I'm very glad that he's optimistic to go back out there again. Well, you're thrilled that he didn't have forearm tightness or something like that's that, right. and
2: and yeah, I think this is uh, they're looking at this at the long you know term, and then they're, they're say, look, don't blow out your arm. Yeah, trying to throw. I wouldn't do it anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, he's smart guy. he's yeah. not
2: going to do yeah. it. Yeah, so that's what you. Hope. I did have one question for you. The way the game began, I don't know if you saw the, the first at, at bat against him. The guy first pitch just laid down a bunt. Yeah, Chisholm. I was like, the guy's been out for two years. Like, I, I mean, I know
0: that's well, not one it's of the... your the job un- is to win the game. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't mind that. you got to have, you know, the pitcher has to field, the catcher has to field, the third baseman has to field, the first baseman has to field, and the second baseman has to cover. It, I, it was unreasonable that I got upset at that. Plus, that guy's got blue hair. <laughs> Jazz Chisholm Jr. has blue hair, and he's fast. He's really fast. Yeah, He's fast. Yeah. He's probably almost as fast, if not as fast, as Trey Turner, who used to be great here, did, and now is great somewhere else. Did you see the thing with Trey Turner? With with Larusa, he had a one-two count on yeah, him. and he intentionally walked him. Yeah, and then, the next, and then it was Muncie. Boom, <laughs> Max Muncy, see you around Tony LaRussa. Yeah, how'd that work out for well, you? Well, the Dodgers are a really good. Yes, player. they are. So I'm going to do something I wouldn't normally do. I, yesterday, um, I had some time. I looked through some emails from years ago. I saved them, stupidly, and <laughs> I looked through them from years ago. So we'll get to them at some point in the show. But we got a lot of nice mail on Lucy Koplansky's songs, mm. and I thought I would just go through this. From Michael Granberry, who sent us the songs yes. and told us about Lucy. He said, hey, guys, thanks so much for playing Lucy Koplansky's songs. See the email below. Eric Nadell uh, sent it to me. Some guy ordered Leslie Mendelson live stream because he heard her on your show. And this is, dear Leslie Mendelsohn, via her manager, who apparently is Kevin, I just bought a ticket for my partner and myself to watch your live stream this Saturday, June 11th. That's tomorrow. I'm going to make this simple for you. The sole reason I'm attending this event is the Tony Kornheiser show. That's it. That's the email from Jamie Edwards in Reedfield, Maine. So, you know, if we have, if we can sell some tickets to Leslie Mendelson, and we can sell some tickets to Lucy Koplansky and we can sell some tickets to Don Stewart and we can sell some tickets to Dan Byrne, we're happy to do it. Absolutely. We're happy to do this. Um, this comes from Rick Franzoso. After all of this time, I may finally have my own David Aldrich moment. You were introducing Wednesday's musician, I blurted out, wait, I know that, Koplansky." In the mid-90s, I spent significant time working in a partnership with a large, well-known software company at their Troy, Michigan office. My main contact, contact at this company shared my taste in music, food, humor, etc., but especially music. He would burn CDs from obscure artists and pass them along to me. One of those artists was Lucy Koplansky. One trip up north, I arranged to stay the weekend. We're headed to a little club in Ann Arbor called The Ark, where Lucy Koplansky was playing. She's not only very bright and extremely talented, but the story she told about the silly songs her dad would sing was very engaging as well. She had us in the palm of her hand. I don't have a connection with her like the person who sent in the song, but I would request one good reason if she agrees to send in additional music. It's a haunting song about bad decisions, and he encloses the lyrics here. And that's just very nice from yes, Rick. Very lovely. Thank you, Rick. Yeah we have one to, uh, this is from Lee Goodwin. Thank you for reintroducing me to the music of Lucy Kaplansky. She is or was a bona fide star, although you would not know it from the measly 22,000 listeners she has on Spotify. I saw her many years ago at the Birchmere with Richard Schindel, or Schindel. If you're interested in her music, do yourself a favor and check out the group Cry, 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 named after a Johnny Cash song. It was a trio of Lucy, Richard Schindel, and Dar Williams, short-lived but really special while it lasted. And from Lucy herself, I can't thank you enough for playing my songs on your show and for your kind words. I'm just thrilled, and I've already received emails from some of your fans saying how much they like my music. I'm so grateful for your support. All the best, Lucy. I do this a lot. I talk about this a lot. The reason we play original music is financial. Yes, it is. We can't afford to pay the (laughs) rights fees for... Hot Town Summer in the City, which I would normally play. <laughs> I would normally play The Love and Spoonful and Jackson Brown and Van Morrison and The Beatles, you know, and Bonnie Raitt yeah. and Linda Ronstadt. I would play that, but we can't afford it. Even rich people can't afford certain things. So we found out that we could play original music for free. And this is a win-win, because not only is the music wonderful... But we're exposing artists to whoever listens to us, and good things come around on that. And I, I, every once in a while, and I have these talks every once in a while with people, um, you know, Jeannie or Tori or somebody like that. And we talk about the original music and how good it is. Yeah. You know, and it's not to pat ourselves on the back. I'm just happy it worked out. Yes. I'm really happy it worked out. And if it helps people in, in their careers, that's good. That's good. Sure. We still like the funny, stupid music that people send in. <laughs> we love that. You know, <laughs> we, 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 We've got room for no talents. Yeah. We like that. Yeah. That's fine. That's great. But every once in a while, somebody sends in some stuff and you go, that's ah, really good. And you wish those people luck. Because it seems to me that it's hard to make money in music. Yes. There are a lot of talented people out there. It's hard to make money in music.
2: I think that's one of the things I've come to realize is just how many incredible artists there are out there. And if we can give them a platform and and make some people aware of them, uh, as you said, it's a win-win. We
0: love the music, and if it helps them out, that's fantastic. One more. This is from Sam Weitzman from the Columbia Law School and stated August 17th, 2020. Okay. I told you I was going through right. stuff last it's, night. Let it go. Sure. I have a confession to make. I am the person responsible for Chris elizabeth being credited with the phrase, Loomis Chafee School for the Rich. <laughs> you see, I used to be an occasional editor of Wikipedia one that sought to add correct information rather than vandalize the site. On March 14th, 2017, I added to Chris's page several pieces of information, including the fact that Chris often humorously refers to his high school by the name of Loomis Chafee School for the Rich. My source for this claim was a tweet by Chris on June 11th, 2016. Where are we now? We're 2022. I did not think again about the matter until I read a profile of Chris in the Columbia Journalism Review published, July 27, 2017, which not only included the Loomis-Chafee School for the Rich line, but also cited the exact same tweet by Chris from back in 2016. Clearly, the reporter had simply gone to Chris's Wikipedia page and taken the link I'd posted there without investigating further. (laughs) Now, with Chris having to clarify the issue in his recent Connecticut Magazine interview, I've decided to step forward and claim responsibility for the slight misattribution which I've also corrected on Chris's page. It is a far, far better thing than I do than, well, you know. In all seriousness, I miss hearing Chris and the rest of the crew regularly on the show, and I look forward to a post-pandemic time when Chris lizard can eat it without fear of contamination. I went through these things. I read, I don't know, I looked at about 200. Right. I called about 8 or 10 that I liked. Let's, I don't know how I missed this one. I, I, don't, I don't know, know I either. That's, that's fantastic to know, though. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, Andy Beyer will join us with his picks for the Belmont and a little discussion about Rich Strike, the horse that won the Derby and did not run in the Preakness. I am Tony Kornheiser.
2: Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts
3: you're listening to the tony kornheiser show
0: this is our friend don stewart this is his latest album called don stewart volume 35 you think he's got 35 albums (laughs) he does Wow. Yeah, prolific. 35 <laughs> albums. The name of the song is titled Guiding Light. I used to watch that. It was a soap <laughs> opera. I used to watch it. Yes. My wife Marilyn and I listen to you almost to almost every one of your shows. We never get tired of listening to you. She likes to listen to you even though the only thing she really cares about is the Yankees. She's been in a better mood lately because the Yankees are doing well. Yankees are doing very well. First Amazing. place team. Thanks for playing my songs. It always means a lot to me. Thanks for the show. It's the best. Again. Talent like this should not go unnoticed, should not go unnoticed. Don Stewart plays in Andy Byer, and for those of you who think, "Yeah, you know, I'm pretty good with the horses, I can make some money with the horses. Let's say your name is Bill Schaefer or Johnny Richardson. Do you have speed figures named after you? Because we got Andy Byer, who has the buyer speed figures. Yeah, that's his credential. Eat it. OK? Let's understand something. All right, Andy. I would say that the story in the Belmont because there can't be a triple crown because the Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike, did not run in the Preakness. I would say that the story in the Belmont is this horse, Rich Strike, and what can he do in his first time out since one of the greatest shocking upsets in the history of horse racing? Right.
1: Uh, right. You know when the when he won the 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 Derby. I mean, my first reaction is this is one of the most inexplicable, crazy results. I've ever seen in my racing life, but I as I looked at it more, and I compared it to the other most crazy race uh, that horse uh, named Mind That Bird, uh, who was a, was a million to one, won the Derby in 2009. Everybody had, had dismissed Mind That Bird as a, uh, you know, as just a fluke. He turned out to be a good horse. He almost won a terrific Preakness, and and you know, you look at, at the way Rich Strike ran. He, yeah, we didn't expect it, but he outfinished all the established good stretch runners who were in the Derby. Uh, I mean, he outfinished Epicenter, the favorite. Uh, so it was a legitimate race. And I thought approaching the Belmont, the people were going to dismiss him. And I, w- I would treat him legitimately and, uh, uh, and, and that he, he would be a decent bet. Unfortunately, the scenario has changed, and uh, it's it's a different race uh, from what I think anyone would have envisioned. I mean, the uh, the, the Belmont drew only a field a field of only eight horses, seven of whom are habitual stretch runners, and there's one horse with speed, uh, a horse named We the People, who nobody were, you know, people weren't exactly. Talking about, but he, he did run one good race at Belmont. He is the he, he breaks from post position one. He'll be in front, right. setting his own pace. Nobody's going to be close to him, and so I think the you know the the, the tactical situation of the race uh, really favors we the people, and and will work against the stretch running rich strike.
0: I wanted to yeah I wanted to ask you cuz you follow the lines you know what's going on Rich Strike is getting a lot of people betting on him and I wondered were you surprised at the respect he was getting but your research would indicate that he's a real horse
1: He is but this is a I mean this isn't a real isn't a real classic race I okay. mean, this this I mean this Belmont is so weak I mean that it this should be the final argument for uh for revamping the triple crown because i mean you have got eight horses you know no stars you know the kentucky derby winner didn't run in the preakness the preakness winner isn't running in the belmont you know the favorite in those first two races is not in the belmont it is i mean it i mean nobody cares really and uh uh, I, you know the, the the tracks putting on this series really need to reconsider its configuration. There's just the short time between the between the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness dissuades modern trainers from trying to go back to back, and you know they they need to spread the races out, make the you know, make the later triple crown races, you know, like richer to keep the horses in the series. But it's, I mean, it's really, it's really kind of fallen apart.
0: This is interesting. We talked about this the last time you were on for, I don't know, 50,000 years. It's the Derby and two weeks later, the Preakness and three weeks later, the Belmont. and right. And what we're seeing is sort of what you see in baseball with analytics and pitchers. That they say, no, 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 we're not going to start you every fourth day. We're not going to do that. We're not going to keep you in. We're going to have a pitch count. We're going to try and save you and save your arm. And, Andy, I, I'm, I'm hearing that your position is these things have changed. You cannot compress this into a five-week period, three big races like this. You're going to have to stretch it out maybe throughout the summer, maybe even into the fall. Is that what well, you're saying? Well, you
1: want to make it a series, but you right. don't want to have them so close together that trainers are just dis- I – mean, I mean, Rich Strike was was a nothing horse. I mean, why wouldn't you take a, a chance in, in – you know, to win the Preakness, maybe even win the Triple Crown, you know, you're kind of playing with house money. But but no, there's just so many arguments against running horses back. They're not as robust as they used to be. People say that, you know, that the uh, the frequent use of Lasix makes horses need more recovery time between races. Whatever it is, they don't want to run back in two weeks. And so, if you, okay, the the the, the Derby owns the first Saturday in May. Maybe you run the Belmont on the fourth of July, and somewhere in the middle is the is the Preakness. Uh, that, that's the way it's got to be because okay. it's 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 you know, it's obviously failed. Let, let me add one thing because you're. Many of your listeners aren't going to be paying attention to this on the on the telecast, but uh, about an hour or so, or a couple hours before the Derby, there is a, a really important race called the Metropolitan Handicap. It's the most prestigious one-mile race in the country, and one mile is a distance that that breeders view as like, the real test of of a brilliance in a racehorse. And there's a horse named Flightline, who is the best horse in the country. He hasn't raced since December, but he's won all three of his races by 11 lengths or more. He got a buyer speed figure of 118 last time, uh, which is by far the best of any horse in the country. I mean, I think this horse, if he keeps on going, is a real superstar. So, uh, Turn on your turn on your Belmont telecast a little early, about four forty-three, and uh, watch Flightline. It's uh, uh, I mean I think we will really have a major uh, uh, a major star uh, in the in racing this year.
0: Okay. This is the Belmont because you originally said the Derby two hours before the Derby, but okay, so this is the Belmont. This is coming yes, up.
1: Yes, Sorry. <laughs> There's another
0: race too, Andy. That I you know I it seems to me that the Breeders' Cup Classic. Is the best race of the year because it's not just confined to three-year-olds? Could they involve that as the sort of culmination of this series, or does that want to stay apart? Because no, I it's a- think that
1: would be a part. I mean, okay. the, the three-year-old series, you know, it's kind of has a life on its own and it's defined for a certain age group and and always has been. I mean, traditionally, late in the seat, later in the season, you know, from September on. Is when the the three year olds step out of their old age, their own age group mm-hmm. and and meet older horses, and so the you know the Breeders' Cup Classic is you know is the real. The, the real championship race. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I, mean it, I mean, it it. means a lot to, uh, you know, anybody who cares about the sport.
0: American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown and then won the Classic, and people started calling it the Grand Slam. Let me just get back to Rich Strike, though. Do you not like him in this race? Are you, would um, you run away you know, from I, him?
1: I, you know, I picked him second to We the People. I would have gone with him. But, listen, when you play the horses, you know... Uh, you know, on any kind of regular basis, you understand how powerful lone speed is as a determinant of winners, and when you've, you you rarely will see, you know, top races where you look at them and say, "Gosh, there's only one speed horse in here, and everybody else is a is a closer," and uh, and that just gives we the people such an edge.
0: So he steals it. He just goes out, and they ultimately can't catch him. In your mind,
1: right? I mean, even okay. even if they try to change their tactics, he he's just quicker than the others. And Rich Strike is Rich Strike is almost certainly going to be last in the early going. They can't. They're not going to. They, they can't change his style. So, uh, uh, you know. It, you know we the people is 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 kind of certain to be on the lead now a lot of things could happen after that but he is he he goes into the race with a a huge advantage that no nobody really could have anticipated 3 weeks ago
0: Thanks, Andy. It's great. Good it's to great to, you. to have you. Andy Byer, boys and girls. And remember, whatever your last name is, <laughs> if it's not Buyer, the speed figs aren't you. They aren't you. Andy knows more about this than you yes. and than anyone you know. Okay, we'll take a break, and Steve Sands will join us, and we'll try and get into this notion of whether or not the PGA Tour's suspension of all the players who are playing at the moment on the Saudi Tour in London is going to work out. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
1: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser
4: Show. Hey, Mr. Naismith, you invented quite a game. Chamberlain and Russell, Magic and Kareem. A monumental struggle, a battle amongst the trees. But now it seems it's only layups and threes. Layups and threes, pass it all around. Take it to the hole, or else from downtown, the mid-range jumper, no-no, extinct as a dodo. Jam or pop it please layups and threes of Kareem Skyhook much has been uttered as automatic as Ben Crenshaw's putter but now they'd say Kareem, just take it to the rack, or jack it from the circle. That sky hook's kind of whack. Layups and threes, layups and threes from half court achievement if you miss your back on defense three point percentage and spacing is the key where would we be without layups and threes tell me where we'd be without layups and threes he's coming down the lane he misses but he's going to the line
0: (laughs) he's a genius dan burn is a genius i don't know what else i can say Dan Byrne is a genius, and yes. he opened for the Who. Yes, he the Who. opened. And he plays for in Steve Sander. Sans Sands. He's a genius, right? Dan Byrne is a genius.
3: Did he really open for the Who? I heard you guys say that last. Yes,
0: week. he opened for the Who. That is
3: incredible, Dan. If you're listening, you are a genius. <laughs> <That's
0: Incredible. laughs> this is how we feel. This is how we feel. All right. There's a lot incredible. of there's a lot of ordering in this story, and I hope I'm going to get the order right. And I will just start by saying we're going to talk about the Saudi Golf Tour, which is no longer theoretical. It's actual. They're playing it right now, the second round of a three-round deal in London. It's, it's out there. For the first time ever, the PGA Tour really has actual competition that they worry about. And what I think a lot of people thought at the beginning was that the PGA Tour would hope that the majors would do their policing for them and not allow players who played in the Saudi tour to play in the majors. But the major that's coming up is the United States Open and the United States Golf Association, which runs it, not the PGA Tour, said all are welcome. If you qualified, all are are welcome. Steve, did that surprise you?
3: No, it didn't surprise me at all because of the timing. It's too late for the U.S. Open and the Open Championship next month mm-hmm. at St. Andrews to change the way they go about their business. Now, that might be altered in 2023, but right now it's too late for the USGA. Mike Wan uh, made that announcement last week. It was no surprise, or earlier this week, it was no surprise uh, that he did that because, look, their qualifications, Tony, um, were already set in place before uh, Live Golf started. Live Golf started yesterday, so The U.S. Open is not about to change the way it goes about its business within a five-day period of its biggest week uh, next week at Brookline. But we'll see what happens moving forward after this.
0: Okay. well, A lot of my questions are were-you-surprised questions. Were you surprised by Deshambo and or Patrick Reed renouncing their membership in the PGA Tour and going to the Saudi Tour?
3: No, not those two. Uh, those guys have been uh, rumored, uh, talked about, um, and, and th- the people we speak to all the time in a sport at the highest level. Um, I don't think anybody was surprised that Bryson and Patrick
0: took the money. Were you surprised that Phil Mickelson ultimately said yes and took the money?
3: No, I, I, we talked about this a couple times, Tony. On your show and off your show, uh, mm-hmm. text messages, it, it's it's not a surprise. Phil was the bellwether uh, to get this thing started in the first place as far as playing goes. Greg Norman is the, the face of it as the CEO. But as far as competing, uh, the biggest name they had was Phil Nicholson. And I, I, I was not surprised, especially what he's gone through the last few months. And as this got closer, Tony, what happened was Live Golf didn't have the field that it was hoping to get. They have 48 guys. They teed it up yesterday. There's no doubt about that. But they didn't have the big names of who they really, really wanted on the list. Right. So the price kept rising. And as that price kept rising, uh, more and more guys said yes. And, and Phil just kind of waited it out. And, and he received the most money.
0: How about Phil wearing the Masters jacket? What a shot, a direct right. shot at the PGA Tour. I mean, come on.
3: Yeah, Yeah, the, the whole thing is, is, I don't know whether disingenuous isn't the right word, but the whole thing is is such a circus. Um, but it's real, Tony. I mean, yes, it happened yesterday. Uh, the PGA Tour uh, came out and banned those players, like we told you that they would. We're going to get um, to that. We're going to get to yeah, all that. Yes, yeah. it's it's, it's uh, you know I'm not much for for that type of thing as, as 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 you say with the Masters jacket. But yeah, I thought that was that seemed a little bush league to me.
0: Yeah, me too. So so we understand. Patrick Reed has no impact. Fans don't like him. Other players don't like him. Deshambo has a certain impact. People like to watch him, but he's not yep. popular with other players. But if Ricky right. Fowler goes, Steve, Ricky Fowler is popular with fans. He's popular with players. He does more commercials than anybody. If Ricky Fowler goes, what does that mean?
3: Well, Ricky Fowler's in a, in a very tricky spot. Uh, Ricky has a certain standard by which he's lived and I mean financially, for years, his game has really fallen off. And as his game has fallen off, you start to wonder what's going to happen with the finances. Those sponsors, Mm -hmm. they demand certain things, Tony. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. And when you are Ricky Fowler and you're one of the faces of the sport and you're not competing at a high level anymore, and it's been a while since Ricky Fowler was on the first page of a leaderboard and having a legitimate chance to win on the PGA tour. On his chest, he has two logos. Okay. The the two biggest events, the three biggest events so far in golf this season, the players' championship begins it. The Masters is the biggest one of them all, which is the second in a yeah. row. And then last month the PGA championship. The first two, the players and the masters, Tony, just think about this. If you're if you're the company who is sponsoring Ricky Fowler, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars here on one side of his chest. He has a grant Thornton logo. Grant Mm -hmm. Thornton is one of the three presenting sponsors of the players. He was in commercials and he has it on his chest and he wasn't in the event and he was in commercials during the week of the players. And he wasn't playing in the event the following month in April at the masters on the other side of his chest is a Mercedes logo. Everybody knows Mercedes bends the car. He was in commercials, and he is sponsored by the event, uh, sponsored by Mercedes, which is a big sponsor of the Masters, and he didn't play in the Masters. When those sponsors, Tony, come calling and wondering why he's not playing in those events, then Ricky's probably going to lose those sponsorship uh, dollars, and then he's going to be left with just his playing dollars, and right now he's not making any money on the golf course. So Ricky's in a very tricky spot Financially, not that he's hurting for money, but if he wants to keep his level of pay, he's going to have to go over to Live Golf unless his wow. game turns around in a big, big hurry.
0: Okay, so the response from the PGA Tour, and I—I I hasten to add to people um, that don't understand this—the PGA Tour has no control right. of any of the majors, not even the PGA. Okay, they don't have that. Their big deal is the FedEx Cup. You know, which nobody can name other than Sands. Three guys have ever won the FedEx Cup, but they've been there. they've been the governing body, basically, of professional golf for a long time, and I think they've done a good job. They have now responded. Jay Monahan has suspo- sus- has responded by suspending every single one of the guys in the PGA Tour who is playing on the Sortie Tour right now. Will these suspensions have a real effect in your mind, Steve? Will Will they be honored?
3: Well, I don't know if they'll be honored because there'll be litigation. Um, right. I think I think people in the Abbey Lowell stratosphere will be receiving phone calls uh, if sure. they haven't already. Um, and there'll be a tit for tat. And, and as you and Michael Wilbon have said, not only on PTI but on your podcast, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, the PGA Tour probably isn't going to win those lawsuits, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't think. But I'm not a lawyer. I've spoken to some right. lawyers who have explained to me how this whole thing works. Um, will it have an impact? Sure, it has an impact uh, immediately, because when the PGA Tour returns after the U.S. Open at the Travelers Championship in Hartford, uh, which is only you know a week from Monday, uh, this coming Monday is U.S. Open week, the following week is in Hartford, and a lot of those guys are on the list to play the Travelers Championship. So, yeah, there'll be an impact, but... This is going to get caught up in the courts for quite some time, Tony.
0: Okay. The thing is out there. The sortie tour is out there. You can see it at the moment on YouTube, but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like Rupert Murdoch flies in and says, you can see it from, on Fox from now on. It's yeah, it's an right. an odd telecast. It's not what we're used to. We don't go hole to hole. And there's stuff in the left-hand corner about these, te- these teams I don't – I don't yet understand it at all. You're in television. I assume you're intrigued by the way they're broadcasting it, and I assume you agree with me that at some point it's going to be out there for the entire American public to consume on television.
3: Yeah, I I agree. I, I was so excited to watch yesterday, and I don't mean that in a positive way necessarily. I just was so intrigued so fascinated as to how it was going to be presented, what it was going to look like, the graphics, like you say, on TV that look different, uh, the set looking different, a shotgun start uh, making it different. Uh, You know, there's so many things uh, that are interesting uh, for those of us who are in the business, but also who are just sports fans who are looking to see what it's like. And I got a kick out of some people saying, where is it? on YouTube. Well, what was that? And that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. If Weber, Murdoch or whoever, you know, comes in um, after this is packaged and after networks see what the product looks like, will they step in, pay the millions and millions of dollars to broadcast it on a more traditional um, avenue? Perhaps. But let's go back to what you said earlier, Tony, if you don't mind. The, sure. the, the PGA Tour um, is different than the four major championships. Augusta National owns the Masters, the USGA owns the U.S. Open, the PGA of America owns the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup, and the R&A owns the Open Championship. You talked about the FedEx Cup, Uh, the Players is also, the Tour Championship is also under the PGA Tour umbrella. The key to all of this, Tony, here's what we need to pay attention to. The U.S. Open, it was too late for them to change. Uh, anything for next week. It's also too late for next month's open championship because the qualifying process has already begun for the open. And those two major championships of the four are the opens. They're open to the world. So if you're going to say you're open, then
0: you You got to let them in for everybody. (laughs) That's right.
3: So you got exactly. So, so here's the key moving forward. Once we get past July and the major championships in 22 are complete, the PGA tour and its relationship with those four entities, and also the fifth piece of the puzzle is the official world golf ranking. We've heard this before. Who's the number one player in the world right now is Scotty Scheffler. Dustin Johnson's been number one in the world. All those kinds of things. We've heard that's a common vernacular in golf. If the four major championships and the official world golf ranking, which is a separate entity from the PGA Tour and those four majors, if those five entities, Get on board with the PGA Tour, Live Golf will be put to bed quickly. If those four major championships and the official World Golf ranking acknowledge Live Golf and allow the Live Golf participants to compete in the majors and also earn World Golf ranking points, the PGA Tour has a really, really uphill battle in front of it.
0: So that leads to the get out question. In your opinion, as somebody who watches this for a living and knows much more than the rest of us, in your opinion, is golf right now, today, closer to chaos or closer to calm?
3: Oh, it's closer to chaos right now. Now, that, again, is going to really be predicated. It's going to be predicated on what those four major championships decide and also the World Golf ranking. But more than anything, Tony, Augusta National... And the Masters, which is the biggest event in golf. Yes, it is. It's the one that means the most in the sport. It's the one that crosses over into the general sports fan uh, as far as viewing, talking about, reading about, listening about. Uh, If Augusta National doesn't like this, doesn't think it's good for the game, for whatever reason, doesn't matter what the reason is, if Augusta National says, you know what? you're part of Live Golf, you cannot compete in the 2023 Masters, that will change the way things are looked upon. And, you know, kind of like, remember after 9-11, I'm not making this analogous but whatsoever. Remember after 9-11, the sports world waited for the NFL to decide before every other sport, yes. you know, yeah, went one right. route or the other. Well, in this case, in golf, I believe me, I'm not making this analogous to 9-11. I'm just using it as an example in a sports sense. The NFL was the leader after the horrific acts of that Tuesday morning in 2001 and then baseball and then the PGA tour and then the other sports followed suit as far as uh, suspending play in this case,
0: it's the master's Augusta
3: national. Exactly. Augusta national and the masters is the NFL. All right. If the masters and Augusta national, Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta national, Tony decides we don't like this. This isn't good for the game. This isn't good for the master's. We are not going to allow live golf players to participate in the Masters, the other major championships, uh, the PGA Tour, the official world golf ranking. Everybody will fall in line, and I and I think that they hold the key to all of this. All the majors do, but especially the Masters. But they're in a tricky spot, Tony. Remember, only eighty-nine or ninety players play in the Masters. If you start banning live golf players, and you get your tour, uh, you get your tournament into say the seventies. And players are, say there's 70, 72 guys in the Masters. Well, how do you make a cut? How do you do top 60 in ties when you only have 70 or 72 players
4: in the event? It's
3: a very tricky spot for Augusta. But to me, they hold the cards uh, to all of this.
0: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Enjoy the U.S. Open at Brookline. Thank you.
3: All right, Tony. We'll talk to you next week, bud.
0: Steve Sands. Terrific. We'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Jeremy Vint from Vancouver. It's absolutely Isn't inc- tremendous. Isn't that incredible? We are all soaked with water. He writes, First, a huge thanks for playing my previous doctor Hoffwaff's mailbag jingle for Flugelhorn and th- Synthesizer several times over the last year. Needless to say, I'm thrilled each and every time I hear it. I'm so happy that it seems to elicit such an evocative reaction whenever it's played. It feels like you're underwater. <laughs> I felt it had been too long since I paid tribute to the good doctor Hoffwaff. Now over a year, please find Attached, a new mailbag jingle... This time inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach. Fear not, it is public domain given that he died in 1750 (laughs) when Mr. Tony was only in grade school. No trumpets or flugelhorns this time, just my trusty Roland Juno 106 programmable polyphonic synthesizer and voice. Unfortunately and evidently, I'm not much of a singer, but something tells me that this just wouldn't have worked with my trumpets, uh, which I used to pay the bills, but besides, how else could I have called Lovingly, Crystal is a dope. Please tell Michael we expect rain tonight. It's wonderful.
2: <laughs> you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, thank you. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area
0: nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, bet you're wondering how I knew about your plans to make me blue with some of the guy you knew before between the two of us guys. You know, I loved you more. It took me by surprise, I must say, when I found out yesterday because I heard it through the grapevine. Now, there are a variety of I Heard It Through the Grapevines, and Gladys Knight and the Pips is a wonderful, wonderful song. Yes, it is. But Marvin Gaye. That's the one. <laughs> That's number one, two, and three. Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Andy Byer and Steve Sands. Thanks to, as well to today's sponsors, MeUndies and Simply Safe, Good Read by Nigel. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And as I said, I went through some old emails. I don't know if we've done these before. In the archives. This is from September of 2020. Rudy Jeffries. You aren't the only person who buys open pit. I buy it too. My grandmother worked as a grocery store cashier for almost 34 years. She used open pit to the exclusion of all other barbecue sauces. If it was good enough for her, then I suppose it's good enough for me. In the nearly six years that have passed since she died, I find myself using it whenever I want to be reminded of her. I'm pleased to know someone else enjoys it too. Open pit. From October 8th, 2020. Hello, not sure who sees these emails. My name is Alex Hughes, a long-time fan and listener, even long longer time, longer-time fan of PTI, literally having watched or listened to the podcast version since inception. I'm 31 now, so it's been a great companion through a lot of formative years. I draw as a hobby, usually portraits. I decided to kill some quarantine time with a portrait of Tony and Mike. I've attached the photo with the drawing here. I don't know if we ever mention this. That drawing that he sent us, he mm-hmm. sent us a different version, is on the PTI set a lot. That's... That's me and Wilbon at age now. Right. Not as young men. And it's just great. It's great. Alex Hughes. Thank you, Alex. I thanked you before. I'm thanking you again. From October 14th, 2020. I was rewatching. This is sent from Pat McLaughlin. I was rewatching some old VHS tapes before tossing them. While watching Jim McKay and Peter Jennings, that Peter Jennings, comment on the presentation of nations at the Olympics, they made a comment that Bolivia almost refused to come because of comments made by Washington Post writer Tony Kornhauser. Can you elaborate? Uh, in my dark past, um, I just made fun of Bolivia because they I just said they were holding a bake sale in order to get enough money to come here, and I mentioned Butch and Sundance, and they took offense, and rightfully so. It's a long time ago. From Jeff Taylor in Chicago, Illinois. Monday, October 19th, 2020. Late in 1989, when I was in 8th grade, we had a group project to create a newscast in the classroom. This was in the days when an overhead projector and a gigantic 25-inch TV-VCR combo precariously balanced on a rusted-out cart with four bad wheels was cutting-edge educational technology. I was assigned to the sports desk. I recorded the previous day's sports center, Uh, edited it down, edited it down to one or two clips, a Dodgers game if I recall correctly, and brought the tape to school, ready for the oohs and ahs that were sure to to follow my ingenious and inventive usage of real highlights in my school broadcast. What I failed to do was write a script or rehearse what I was going to say as occasional description of things that may have happened on the screen behind me. The screen, incidentally, that I could not see while I was narrating the clip. A failure in my planning to rival the lack of script. My primary takeaway from this experience was, man, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. It is for this reason that I am uniquely positioned to tell you that while Boom Goes the Dynamite is the part of that clip that is most instantly recognizable, it is in fact Passes to the man that is the funniest part of an entire clip. Who knows yes, the dynamite is the only part of what he prepared and delivered as intended, while passes to the man is the living embodiment of, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. The story is unrelated to our current reality or anything that comes up on the show recently, but being completely out of context and unmoored from reality is part of the show's charm, so I thought I would share. Love that. From John T. Mayer, Harvard Law. At Bridgewater State University, 08. This is from October 19th, 2020. I graduated from Bridgewater State University, but I told my employer that I graduated from Harvard Law because it's in the same state. <laughs> Please don't read my name on the air. Seems sweet. like that should be fun. And this one, I don't know if we ever did this, from September 21st, 2020. From Tyler Thalgott, who once... Want, I'll just read it. Maybe we did it. I don't know.
2: Strikes a bell with me.
0: Hello, my name is Tyler Thalgot. I'm 15. So he's 17 now. Yes. I'm 15. I recently started a podcast. I know this might not be the best way to contact you about a subject like this, but I was wondering if you could give me any tips about starting my own podcast. I'm a fan of PTI. I listen to it all the time. PTI inspired me to make my own podcast. The podcast quickly runs through the previous day's MLB games and gives insights on moves to make for your fantasy baseball team. The idea is to do all of this in 15 minutes or less for people with short commutes. It's called the fastball. It has minimal popularity, but my audience is growing. I started getting serious with it and bought a real podcasting microphone. Just adding a mic does not make a podcast flawless or even good at all. That being said, I would still greatly appreciate some tips to grow the podcast and make it higher quality. First of all, I will likely not go back Uh, I'm sorry. First of all, the podcast I thought had a good concept. But one problem is if people miss a day or two, they will likely not go back and listen to the past episodes as they probably already know the outcomes of the games. How should I go about creating content in addition to the 15 minutes or less episodes I've been doing that will encourage people to go back and listen to episodes that they missed? Secondly, do you have any tips to smooth out the podcast? Right now, my episodes are not terrible, but they're somewhat choppy. They have long pauses as I read the script. I might stumble on a word or two and my computer will freeze. Do you have any tips in that sense? I guess how to make it flow better. Thirdly, I wanted to know what to do as the season finishes. I somewhat set myself up for failure by doing a podcast about the baseball season and the shortened baseball season. That means I will have minimal content to record on and eventually run out. You somewhat went through this during the sports drought of COVID, and I was wondering how you were able to create content when there were no sports to make content on. Finally, this would be sort of my dream job in the future, to have your job. I love talking about sports (laughs) and sharing my opinion on sports. I would love in the future to have an opportunity like you to share my words with others through the media about the things, sports, that I love. The podcast was a step in the right direction, but how could I take this further? How could this propel me in the right direction? And what do I have to do after high school to pursue a career in sports broadcasting and journalism? I know the odds of getting a response are very low, but if I do get one, that would mean the world to me. Thank you. I don't know what to say. Yeah, a That's lot. a lot of questions. Yeah, That's a That's really a lot. Yeah. I, if you're still doing this, Tyler Thalgott, after two years, then you're probably on your way. Sure. And you'd love to have my job. Well, you got to start <laughs> by being a columnist at the Washington Post. <laughs> for about 25 yeah. years, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, I'm rooting for this kid. Yeah. Most of the words are spelled correctly. <laughs> I don't know if we did this before or not. I do not
2: remember. I, I think I would remember that, detail, that sort of detailed questioning. You know, But I would just say to the
0: kid, you know, just keep doing it. You know, well, it I would wraps. say to him that they, he, he, he understands his circumstance. When he says, well, if all I do is baseball, when the baseball season ends, what the hell in God's name do I do next? Well, yes. We you yeah. have to sort of figure that out. Yeah, And, and Tyler, yeah. I didn't face what you faced. Because <laughs> I know how to talk for hours. <laughs> I just talk for hours. <laughs> it's what I do. I'm so old. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, including Tyler Thalga. Do wear what? Now, if there's anything I can do for you, but I certainly
5: hope you die soon. <laughs>
4: Smith, you invented quite a game. Chamberlain and Russell, Magic and Kareem, a monumental struggle, a battle amongst the trees. But now it seems it's only layups and threes. Layups and threes. Pass it all around. Take it to the hole, or else from downtown, the mid-range jumper, no, no, extinct as a dodo. Jam or pop it please Layups and threes Of Kareem Skyhook Much has been uttered As automatic As Ben Crenshaw's putter But now they'd say Kareem Just take it to the rack Or jack it from the circle That Skyhook's kinda whack Layups and threes Layups and threes From half court achievement if you miss your back on defense three point percentage and spacing is the key where would we be without layups and threes tell me where we'd be without layups and threes he's coming down the lane he misses but he's going to the